And today we're going to be finishing our sermon series called Turning the Tables. The verse that we've been looking at is one of the biggest claims I think you could imagine making in the context of the world we live in. The Apostle Paul says, And we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And the Apostle Paul, he writes letters. The Apostle Paul spews facts. He doesn't write a lot of stories. And we can read God's Word in a lot of different ways. This is a principle that Paul takes from the Scripture, and he just summarizes it for us. But in the Old Testament, it's expressed over chapters and chapters in a story. God's Word is expressed in a story of Joseph as we see this principle play out in his life, and we learn that God can take anything that happens, even the worst things that happen to us, and use them for good. You might be sitting there today thinking, I don't know if I have enough faith to believe in this. Something terrible has happened to me. There's been horrible things that have happened in my life. I don't see the good. You know, maybe something little here, something little there. But I mean, overall good? And that is a big leap of faith to make, especially if we haven't seen that good come yet. And Carolyn's testimony is one where she had something very big happen to her, something life-shattering, and yet God has blessed her with joy. And God can do this for her. What the Lord has done for her, He can do for you. What the Lord has done for you, He can do for me. God can bring good out of all of these things. And we're going to talk more about that as we read through the story of Joseph and that big claim. Now, this is the last week in the sermon series. I'd encourage you, if you ever miss a week in a sermon series, you can go online to our Facebook page at Harrisonville Community Church on Facebook, and you can look at some of those old sermons and catch up on something you've missed. For those of you who might have missed a sermon or two in this series, I'll try to summarize the story for you a bit today. Joseph was at home with his many brothers. He had 11 brothers and himself. Joseph was different. He was a leader. God had blessed him uniquely. It is revealed to his family that he was called by God to lead them, and his brothers did not want to submit to his leadership. They were jealous of him, and so what they did was they're going to kill him. But they were so evil that Judah stepped forward and said, well, if we kill him, there's no benefit to us. What's the profit in that? Let's sell him into slavery. And so Joseph has something incredibly big happen in his life. He's rejected by his family. They try to destroy him, and they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And what the brothers used to try to destroy him, what Satan meant to try to destroy him, instead God uses that exact thing, and he turns the tables. And that's why we're calling the series Turning the Tables. The phrase turning the tables comes from when board games were popularized. You sit down at the chessboard and you play, and when one of you is winning and the other person makes a comeback, the phrase turning the tables became popularized because that comeback is just like you took the board and you just turned it right around back on the person. And here Satan's got plans to destroy you. We have an enemy in our this life. He's got plans to destroy me. Plans to destroy your workplace, your family, your friends, this church. Satan's got plans for all of it. And God is so big and powerful and so good, he's willing and able to take those plans and turn the tables on Satan and use them for your good. And your family's good. And this church is good. And we see that in the story of Joseph. The brothers meant to destroy him, but instead God uses it for 
Joseph's good. What they meant to destroy Joseph, instead God uses to bless Joseph. He's sold into slavery in Egypt. And instead of leading his brothers, who are probably very difficult people to lead, instead Joseph is blessed to lead the nation of Egypt. He rises from slavery to Egypt to the second most powerful person in the most powerful nation on earth. And Joseph is able to foresee a famine and plan for the future and save not only the people of Egypt from starvation, but the surrounding people as well. God had plans to use what Satan meant to destroy Joseph instead to bless Joseph and others as well. And the most amazing thing in this story, and I love this story, the most amazing thing is Joseph is just so righteous. He's always faithful to God. Whether he's up or down, whether he's being rejected by his family and sold into slavery, whether he's at the top of the world making decisions for the strongest nation in history, Joseph is just so faithful to the Lord. But the best part about this story is the brothers. And we read about this last week. The brothers who are not perfect at all. They're horrible people at the beginning of this story. As they turn to God and follow God, God uses everything for their good too. What a merciful and good God we have. They mean to crush and destroy Joseph. They sell him into slavery and Joseph rises to prominence and has all this food and surprise the famine hits them, and they're starving. And so they come to Joseph for food. And they don't know it's him. It's been 22 years since they sold him. They don't recognize him anymore. He looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He's all growing up. And he holds their fate in his hands. And they have no idea it's him. And Joseph sees them coming. And he wants to reconcile with them. But he doesn't know if he can trust them. His last memory of them is them debating whether they should kill him or sell him into slavery. And so Joseph, on the spot, devises some tests to see if the brothers have followed God in their life, if they are willing to follow God, if they've changed, if they've repented of their sin, if they've turned to the Lord. He has all these little tests that he devises, and what he does is he wants to see if they'll do the same thing to one of their other brothers that they did to him. Are they going to change? He was his father's favorite. He was called to lead. He was special, treated differently, and they sold him out for it. And so he takes, devises a plan to take his father's new favorite brother, the youngest, Benjamin. He's the new favorite. And he takes Benjamin, and he says, I'll give you some food if you give me money, but you've got to give me your youngest brother Benjamin first. And so he takes Benjamin and he sends them home with the food and then he sends them home with the money that they paid as well. And he wants to know, are they going to sell this brother out for money just like they did to him 22 years ago? And the brothers go home and on their way they look at all the money they've got. They realize they don't have Benjamin and instead, they've changed. Instead of doing the same thing and saying, sweet, let's go tell Dad Benji died on the way, just like we told Dad that Joseph died and deceived him and got money for it. Let's do the same thing again. Dad will never know. Instead, they've changed. And they go back to Egypt. And instead of being people who sell other people out and are willing to kill other people, instead of that, there are people willing to follow God. And it's Judah himself who goes back to Egypt and says, I'll take the place of Benjamin. Like, if you want one of us, Joseph, and they don't know it's Joseph yet, 
If you want one of us, a wise, powerful Egyptian ruler, then take me and let him go free. And so that's where we pick up the story. We'll be reading in Genesis chapter 45. Are we starting in verse 3? Actually, I'm going to start in verse 1, actually. So, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So Joseph just heard Judah, the guy who wanted to kill him, and instead decided to sell him. He heard Judah's change of heart. No, take me. I'll, I'll substitute for the brother so he can go back. I'll sacrifice myself. And so Joseph can't control himself anymore as he's going through this. He says, everyone leaves the room. And verse 2, he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Now, if you've ever had a reunion with a loved one, usually it's a positive thing. Why are they dismayed? Because this guy holds our future in his hands. And the last thing that we did to him was we sold him into slavery. They are dismayed. They're like, oh, man. They came to get some food. Instead, they had to leave a brother behind. They left. Their money's in their bags with them. They're freaking out. They're like, what's this guy going to do to us? And they come back, and it goes from bad to worse. Oh, no. This is Joseph. Surely he's got plans to destroy us. And his brothers are dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And I do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And so Joseph is able to help them during this famine. He's got plans not to destroy them, but to bless them. And God has had a plan for their good, for Joseph's good and for everyone else's good. And God's got a plan for your good. And you sit there and you think, well, I haven't seen the good yet. And what, what happened to me was, was really, really bad. And, and where is this good? And, and there's nothing more heartless than to tell people who've gone through really, really terrible things that the Lord is going to use it for your good without giving the whole picture. There are many things that we experience in this life where we won't receive the full good until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I just want to start with that. That's where we need to start, and that's where we started this sermon series. Jacob has lost a child. It's the most worst thing I could imagine. Many of us have lost loved ones. We prayed, and those prayers were not answered. And we think, why did God give the miracle to somebody else but not to us? If you think that the story, this is a great story, but if you think it ends in happily ever after, you're still not looking at the whole picture. If you turn to the end of Genesis, 
it ends with the death of Joseph. Everyone eventually does lose Joseph. In our life, we'll lose everyone we love. Eventually, every person that Jesus healed died. The story's not complete, and our stories are not complete either. If we've lost loved ones, there's still good yet to see. And we might have some good things here and good things there that God has brought out of it, but the good thing that remains that the Bible tells us is the resurrection. And if we've given up on Jesus, then we've given up too early. The person who doesn't believe and chooses hell looks at God and says, you haven't done it. I've given you this much time. You haven't saved. You haven't returned. You haven't... I'm out. But the person who believes in Jesus looks at it differently. They say it's only a matter of time until I receive the good. And God will bring lots of good into our lives. He will turn the tables on many of the plans that Satan has for us in this life, and it will increase our faith so that we can put our faith and trust in him for the biggest of things as we wait for the ultimate good, the return of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. When he returns, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We will see. No one will say, you didn't do this well enough. Yeah, you did a good job, but not a great job. You did an okay job, but not a perfect job. Instead, everyone will bow and they'll say, I get it. I see. As Jesus comes back and he reverses all the plans that Satan has done to all of those who are faithful to the Lord, everyone will bow their knee and say, Yes, Lord, you were right. You were right in allowing that. You were good in what you allowed. That's a huge, huge thing to claim. And if we didn't have a huge, huge, powerful God, it wouldn't make any sense at all. But if we have a God who's that big, then it only makes sense to feel that way. And God works in the life of Jacob. He works in the life of Joseph to bring them to a place of faith where one day when Joseph actually dies, it's been 3,500 years, Joseph still hasn't come back yet. But he works the family and the family's life to the point where they have the faith and trust that as those brothers start dying, God might have answered this prayer, he might have answered that prayer, but he didn't answer this prayer. There goes Reuben to cancer. There goes Simeon to a chariot accident. There goes Joseph to whatever it is. They've gotten to a point where they've put their faith in the Lord and they can trust him in all things. And God wants to bring you to a place where you can trust him in all things. Whether you've experienced something terrible in the past, I guarantee you're going to experience something terrible in the future. God wants to bring us to a place where our faith is fully in Him, not just for the little things, but for the biggest of things. And here God has worked this whole scenario to increase their faith. As we read God's Word, He's worked it to increase our faith. And God wants your faith to be that big, because He is that big. And so the ultimate good that God is working in your life and, and ultimately in all of our lives, it will be fully seen at the resurrection. But as you sit there and you wonder, how is God turning the tables on what Satan has done in my life right now? There's a lot of things that we can learn from this story. I want you to start thinking. Maybe you, maybe you have. Maybe you've seen God totally redeem that situation. He's turned the tables. You can celebrate. Praise God for what he's done. 
Joseph said before that, uh, I think it was at the end of chapter uh, 45, he said, uh, the Lord has made me forget all of my hardships. There's so many things in my life that I can look back and say that. God has completely turned the tables on Satan, on the hardship of 2001 and the hardship of 2006 and what kept me awake, lying awake, unable to sleep in 2009. God has totally changed my life. Praise God for that. Maybe that's you this morning, but if you're digging for the good, if you're looking for the good that God has been doing, in your life through this, as you wait for ultimate good to come. There's a few things that we can look at and learn from. The first is that God has changed these people. He has changed their faith. Look at what he's done. Joseph says, God has sent me here. They're worried that Satan has sent them here, right? They're like, oh man, we made that mistake. They've tried to push it down for 21 years, 22 years, and they come. You know, they were terrible people before. If they never did this, it's not like they wouldn't have been good people. There were terrible people before on the inside, and God allowed all this happen for it to be revealed because God had a plan for their character and who they were and their faith. You know, what God wants more than anything is a relationship with you and to be intimate with you. What he wants more than your health, what he wants more than your prosperity, is intimacy with you. And God has allowed all that he allowed so that he could have intimacy with these brothers because they were so far from him in their sin. They were so faithless. They had no fear of God. And now all of a sudden, life has changed. Life has changed for these people. Their faith has changed. At the beginning, Judas sounds a lot like Satan. Kill him or sell him. What's in it for me? At the end, he sounds a lot like Jesus. Our brothers in prison? I'll sacrifice myself. What a miracle that God has gotten a hold of this man in his heart. Praise God. And that's what God wants. Is he wants Judah's heart. And he allowed all of it to happen so he could have it. Joseph says, God sent me here before you. Now, God does not cause evil to happen in our life. One day we'll get to do a sermon series on that. It'll be a ton of fun. But God did not cause evil or create evil when he created the world in Genesis chapter 1. He doesn't cause evil or do evil in Revelations chapter 20 when heaven comes down to earth and the Lord returns. It's not like in the middle God got confused and says, I'm going to cause a bunch of evil. When the Bible says that God sent them here, it's not speaking inaccurately. It's that Satan had a plan, but God has a master plan. So God doesn't cause the evil that happens in our life, but he does allow it for a good purpose. And he's good in doing it, and he's good in doing it here. And the brothers find that out, and their faith grows, and their character grows. We think so much about what we have we don't realize that God is actually thinking about what he has as well. We think, God, where are you? I don't have my health. I don't have prosperity. I don't have provision. The bills are coming up, and I don't have the money. I don't have this. And God's looking down and says, who do I have? Do I have someone who's willing to trust in me, who's got their faith in me, who knows how to depend on me, who knows how to turn to me, who knows what Satan is doing, and instead knows how to turn to me and see what I'm doing and be on board with where I'm going? Who do I have? And God has used this whole story to completely change what he has. And Joseph, at times, has lots. At times, he has nothing. Same with the brothers. But the whole time, they have the Lord. And that's been revealed to them now. God sent us here. When you felt like God abandoned you, he was with you. He was with us the whole time. And God wants your heart. And maybe he hasn't given you the answer to your prayers. 
because he wants greater intimacy with you. Think about if you got that health. Think about if you got that wealth. And then think about how maybe you would have turned from the Lord because you'd have had your idols and you would have gone straight to hell. Maybe the Lord has denied you things in his wisdom because he wants you to grow more in turning and trusting him and knowing him, knowing him as their Savior. That is who God is. Maybe he wants you to know him more and more as your Savior. There are good that God can work in this as we're waiting for the ultimate good. Maybe he's growing your character. Like Carolyn, he grew her character. She got through this. She has joy. She's a character now that she can turn, and she can help God in his plan to turn the tables on what Satan's doing in other people's lives. And ultimately, I shouldn't say ultimately, also, God uses this whole situation for their earthly blessing and benefit. God cares about us. He doesn't want to deny us prosperity. He doesn't want to deny us health. He doesn't want to deny us wealth. He wants to give us those things. God is a generous God of many, many blessings. And here we see that in the brother's life. And God's got a plan to do that for you. Maybe at the resurrection, but maybe earlier. God cares about us. He cares about our health. He cares about all those things. And we can learn that he's a generous God who's not denying us anything because he's something lacking in him. But he's denying it because he sees something in us that he wants to draw out. And so the brothers go. They get the food from Joseph. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 46. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And they said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make unto you a great nation. And so the brothers get the food, the family gets the food, but they're still starving. They need something more. So they, God says, you know, I'm going to send you into Egypt. Now, why would he be afraid to go into Egypt? His son is the most powerful person in all of Egypt. He's afraid to go down to Egypt because it means slavery. They're going to have to become servants themselves to survive and get food. No one wants to become, be a slave. And God says, don't be afraid. I myself will go down with you into Egypt, and I will bring you again, and Joseph's hand will close your eyes. You're going to go to Egypt, you're going to go into slavery, and you're all going to die there. Thank you, Lord, for that amazing plan. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for that. I'm excited to go. And so God says, don't be afraid. It reminds me of Psalms 23. If you read Psalms 23, there's, there's two settings in this passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That sounds fun. You take, a, take a dip, take a swim. He leads, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What happened? Where did the streams go? Where did the waters go? No, God's got a plan. And even when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, he's allowed us to go there. We can have the streams. We can have the righteousness. It all comes through faith. And that's what Jesus is telling, the Lord is telling Jacob right here. You're going to go into slavery and you're going to die. 
But don't measure my presence by your prosperity. Measure your presence by my promise, because I will be with you the whole time. And you'll have everything you need. God may have allowed you to be in the valley of the shadow of death. And he wants you to experience the still waters and the streams that come through faith in him, even in this time. It's only a matter of time until he blesses you and turns those tables on Satan in your life. Here he turns valleys of darkness and death into still waters and righteousness. He turns slavery into a sovereign nation. The Lord turns graves into gardens. And it's only a matter of time. And as you're thinking, that ultimate good, you might still be waiting for that, but be thinking, what else is God doing in my life that is good? What other blessings can I count that he is using, that he's taking Satan's plans and using it for my good and our good? You might be going through a life change. You might be going through major changes, job changes, changes in your family, struggling to see that good. And sometimes God has promised our good, but his good might be too big for us to see. That's why he's got to point it out so many times. And to Jacob, you're going to go into slavery and you're going to die, but I've got good, and it's going to be too big for you to see. But know that I'm there with you and that I've got good planned for you. And if you haven't received the good yet and you're wondering where is God and he hasn't delivered, you just haven't read enough of the Bible because this is what most of the Bible is about. Hebrews chapter 11 recognizes this. It recognizes that actually almost all of the people who were promised things by God didn't get to see them in their lifetime. Hebrews talks about Abraham and Sarah and the children and the nation and it all and Jacob. But they died without seeing it. Jacob died without ever seeing that promise. Died without seeing the promised land. Died without seeing all those kids and that great sovereign nation. He died, but he died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Because God is the God of the living and not the dead, Jacob saw that. He's seen everything God has done. He's now seen the good. And you will see the good too if you continue to believe. That's why we have that saying, the promises are for believers. It's not that if we believe hard enough, then we'll receive God's promises. No, it's that if we keep believing in Jesus, we will see those promises in his time. Here God has to remind Jacob, I've got things that are for your good that are too big to see. And God wants us all to know that the ultimate good that he has in our lives might be too big for us to see. And we've got to use our imagination. Maybe I'm going through my job change. Maybe I'm going into a slavery situation. God, why this job? Why now? Why this suffering? Maybe it has nothing to do with you. Maybe God's got plans for your life. But maybe he's got plans that are too big for you to see, and he wants you to trust him. Maybe your great-granddaughter, through all of this, she's going to find a, an amazing man to marry, and God is going to bless the world through those people, and he's going to bring you here, and he's going to bring him there. He's going to do this and that. Maybe God's plans are too big for us to see right now. Even then, we can trust him. That's what God asks of us. That's what God asks of Jacob, and he's worthy of that because that's how big he is. So God's got plans for them to go into slavery. Jacob brings his family down to Egypt to follow the Lord and follow what he says. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. Now, dads, when your kids are little, you're like the coolest guy around. It's just fantastic. I love it. 
All of my kids still think I'm cool. I'm eating it up every minute. My little two-year-old won't go anywhere without me. Papa, Papa, she thinks I'm the greatest thing on earth. But one day that will change. And they'll hit like middle schoolish or high schoolish. And then, you know, they got their hair cut this way and they got their, their dress in that way and they're all saying these things. And then, you know, it's time for their friends to meet dad. And, you know, dad's dressed this way and, you know, he looks that way. And your, your kids will be thinking, oh man, I hope dad doesn't embarrass me. I hope dad doesn't ruin all my friends. They're going to tease me forever because my dad dresses. And so Joseph brings his. I remember when my dad met my friends, I had these kids. I grew up in a mobile home park, and, and none of us played organized sports because nobody had the money. Nobody had the time to drive kids anywhere back then. And so we just played baseball every day at the Sandlot. It was like the movie Sandlot. And nobody knew each other's parents. They would come through in the summertime. Everybody's folks were at work. All the kids were home alone. They'd bang on the door. They'd drag you out to play baseball because you need so many kids. If you didn't play, they got mad at you, and they'd curse at you. I know you're in there. We need another player. Blah, blah, blah. You get out of here, you... you. And they would drag you to the sandlot. And these guys, man, they were all older than me. They were so cool. And my dad drove by one day and got out of the car. I thought, this could go either way. <laughs> and he gets out of the car and he comes up and he goes, hey, let me take a nap bad. Now other kids' fathers had came too. And they had all hit home runs. I was like, Dad, what are you doing? And my dad got up, and he swung, and he hit a ground ball. Now, the good news is he smoked that thing, and so the ball went, sh I mean, you could tell that if he raised that, it was going to be a home run. So thankfully, I didn't get teased too bad. In fact, nobody said anything, because they all knew, like, if dad got a hold of that thing and popped it up a little bit, it would have been over the fence. And I was like, oh, thank God. Dad didn't embarrass me. That was close. <laughs> but we made it. And so here, Joseph has risen to the most prominent position that the world can hold. He's second to only the Pharaoh. He's going to introduce his father to him. This could make or break the whole thing. What is Jacob going to do? Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the fathers of life of the days of their sojourning. <laughs> Jacob is one of the most blessed men on earth. If you go back, I think it got the verse, verse 35, 11. First of all, God just told him he's going to be with him. Chapter 35, verse 11, God tells Jacob about all the blessings. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from you. He's one of the most blessed people on earth. He's got 11 sons. He's lived 130 years, but he's comparing himself to Noah. Noah lived 900, and I've only lived 130. And I've got 11 sons, but I lost one of them. And I, What I've learned in my life is no matter how good my life is, Satan will take this thing, and it might be teeny, but he'll poke me with it and and I'll pay attention to it, and pretty soon, no matter how many blessings I have, I feel like I'm in hell, because all I'm doing is I'm thinking about what Satan's done in my life, and I can't go to sleep, and I'm thinking about it. And what I've learned is I have a lot of terrible things going on in my life, but if I turn my focus on what the Lord is doing, then I feel his presence, and I feel like I'm a, I've got heaven on earth. And here Jacob's got all these blessings. He has one, he had something terrible happen to him. I don't want to minimize it in any way. It's truly horrible. But he's let it define his life. 
He's let it define his life. And he's a victim instead of a victor. Because he's fallen to what Satan's done in his life, and he's inconsolable. We've read before that he loses Joseph, and everyone tries to console him. He's inconsolable. Now he's even received Joseph back, and he's so committed to being a victim. He's still talking about how hard his life is. And that can be every one of us. Satan can get us to focus on whatever it is. I've lost my boy for 22 years. That's what he's thinking. I've lost my boy for 22 years. And I'm telling you, something that big, I, I think there's a part of your heart that can only be healed by a miraculous move of God, for sure, and perhaps only the resurrection. So I don't want to minimize it, but here, Jacob is focused on it. And he's made, the, he introduces himself that way. How has your life gone? Oh, my life is so hard. And Joseph is the opposite. He's been rejected by his brothers. His brothers come to him, and instead of saying, you guys are the guys who sold me, I went to prison. Instead, he looks at the blessings. Look at what God has done. It took 22 years of my life away, for sure. That's been pretty terrible. But look at what God has done. Joseph has victory in the Lord. And his father is yet to receive it. His father feels like he's abandoned him amidst all of the blessings God has given him. Don't let Satan define your life. Find out what God is doing and let that define your life. I need that reminder all the time because I'm always pointing out, Satan's always pointing out to me what I don't have. And if you're grieving something serious, I don't want to be, I don't want to be unempathetic towards that. We have a grief group that meets every Wednesday because Christians need to grieve. We don't just have terrible things happen and say, well, God's going to bring something good. Like, we have to grieve it. It takes time to be able to heal. It takes time to be able to put your faith in the Lord when you've experienced something terrible. But... The truth is, is that at some point, God does call us to fully put our faith in him for all of these things because he is that big and he's that trustworthy. And faith is the only way to see and enjoy God's plans. And thank God that he's big enough to take those because Satan will keep pointing out what we don't have. Last Christmas, we gave my kids Christmas presents. Sarah comes home with a pile of presents every year, and I think, how much did you spend on that? And she says, I got good deals here, I got good deals there. So at the end of the day, I can't complain. I'm like, okay, fine. We'll give the kids all of these presents. And it's spoiling them, but what am I going to do? Such good deals. Well, they open up all these gifts, and they each got one of these. This is the dumbest gift out of the whole thing. But one of my younger children took one of my older children's this. And my older child is sitting there in a pile of expensive toys and batteries and manuals. And they look over and they say, he took my thing. And they're fighting over it. I'm just in awe. I'm like, this is the most foolish thing I've ever seen in my life. And I took him out. I said, this is just a perfect time to teach them about the Lord. And I bring him upstairs and I said, now, hon. The most important thing to learn is that only Jesus makes us happy. 
Because if other things made us happy, wouldn't you be happy right now? Look at all of the things you've got. If anything else could make you happy, you'd be a happy girl right now, wouldn't you? But instead, you're not happy because of this. I said, that's the important lesson. No matter what we have in life, if we don't have Jesus, we'll be miserable. And Satan will use this, if we don't have Jesus, to make us miserable. And that is the story of Joseph. Now, they've lost big things. But by faith, they can see God's plan. And by faith, Joseph is, has victory. And we want to be like Joseph. And then the story mostly wraps up here in Genesis chapter 50. If you skip down to verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. They still can't live comfortably because they know how bad what they did was, and they have a hard time understanding full forgiveness. Oh, he must be just waiting until dad's dead to get us. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers for their sin. We better tell them that dad doesn't want him to kill us because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, I am, in the for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And the Lord has got plans for full forgiveness for us. He's got plans for full forgiveness for you. And how we see the Lord turn the tables of Satan in our life is we put our faith and trust in the Lord for our full forgiveness. The Lord wants us to deal with our sins so that we can be saved and restored to him. And God may be doing that with you right now. You might be thinking, I want to experience Satan turning the tables, or God experience, uh, experience God turning the tables that, and the plans that Satan has in my life. How do I do that? Well, God wants you to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. And in a moment, we're going to close our eyes, we're going to pray, and if you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Because what the Lord wants is your intimacy. And whatever he's allowing in your life, you can be confident he's doing so because he wants you to turn more and more to him. Let's close our eyes and let's, let's pray. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never given him lordship of your entire life, maybe you like this commandment or maybe you like that thing, maybe you, you thought you should show up to church a little bit because of this or that, but you've yet to really get, make him the lord of your life and give him complete and total trust, and you want to have that type of faith. You want to have that type of faith where all of your life, even the worst things are in his hands, and you trust him with that. And you want to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ today. If you've never done that before, I would invite you to stand today. And you're not standing so that God can see you. God can see your heart, and that's the most important thing. You're standing for yourself. Because this is a moment where you can say to yourself that this is the moment I took that step of faith and I put my whole life in the Lord's hands and I fully repent of my sin and I fully depend on Him. If you feel God calling you to put your faith and trust in Him in that way, and this is the first time you've ever done that, I invite you to stand.
Now, maybe you're someone who has been a Christian for a while. You've already done this before. And as you've gone through life, you've experienced different things. Satan's brought different things in your life. And your faith has wavered. And you've been living a life as a victim rather than having victory. And you would like to recommit your life to Jesus Christ and say, God, I'm putting my faith in you fully again. I've had these doubts. I feel like you've abandoned me at different moments. And I'm putting my faith again that you're with me. If that's you today, then I invite you to stand. And finally, maybe you're someone you've, you're faithful to the Lord. You've been faithful to the Lord. However, Satan's done a lot of terrible things in your life. And you're still waiting to see the ultimate good from those things. And I invite you to stand if you want to, again, stand for yourself before the Lord, that your faith and trust is in the Lord, and that Satan can take a look at this, because God can see your heart. But Satan can't. God has never given him that ability. And you want to stand up in front of the Lord and in front of your enemy and say, you'll never, you will never separate me from God. My faith is in the Lord. No matter what evil you can bring into my life, Satan, I've got my faith in him and he's big enough that he's going to turn the tables on it. And he's going to redeem this situation. He's going to heal my heart. He's going to heal my family. He's going to bring back my loved ones from the dead. And I want you to know that you will never separate me from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for being a God who we can trust with all of our heart, with all of our might. Lord, we give our lives fully to you and we say, Lord, take it. Take it, Jesus. You're the only one who can sort all of this out and make all of this come out right. Lord, we give you our lives. We give you our heart. We give you our past. We give you our future. And we praise you and thank you for being a God who's big enough to take all of those things and save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.